Hello, ladies, and welcome to the Virtue Podcast. This week has been a crazy week for me. I just returned from a trip to Harvest Kumalani, the church that we have on Maui. And as you know, there were those hurricanes and uh, that 90-mile-an-hour wind that downed all the power lines and caused what has been talked about as perhaps one of the worst fires in American history. There's still hundreds of people unaccounted for, families, grandmothers, grandfathers, children, and their animals that were all trapped in their homes, some trapped in their cars as they tried to flee that inferno. Those sudden fires swept through the town of Lahaina, giving so little opportunity for the people to get out with anything other than just maybe the clothes on their back, and that was if they were lucky to get out. That town, that ancient town of Lahaina, with all of its beauty and history, was reduced to a pile of ashes, literally just ashes remaining, in about an hour and a half. I had the opportunity to sit and talk with some women, pastors' wives, and a few of the other women leaders in our church. So many, if not all of them, have lost significantly. They've lost everything, some of them. Families are dealing with displacement, uh, a shortage of affordable housing on the island, incredible loss of income, slow emergency services, mounds of paperwork to navigate, and children who have no schools to attend, men and women without means to provide income to live on, and yet the bills are mounting. That first Sunday after the fire, we weren't there, but I heard So many of the faithful came, some of them with just the clothes on their back, still smelling of smoke. But God, right? We always have to leave room for Him. In this podcast, we're going to be getting a three-week look at the book of Habakkuk. And you might say, Habakkuk, why? Why study that? As a matter of fact, I heard someone say those very words. We are studying this book because we must study and learn of all of Scripture. That's why. Yes, Habakkuk is a book in the Bible, and we should be familiar with it. Have you ever had a place in your life where it seemed that things were so bad that you felt God was far off, that He wasn't paying attention, or even allowing things that seemed entirely wrong or even evil to fall on you or on a loved one? You may have even said, God, what are you doing? Why are you not intervening here? Ladies, some of you may already know I have been blindsided by tragedy to the degree I was just speechless. And all I could say was, God, help. Traumatized by events that were out of my control, and I had to say, what now, God? You know, it would be possible to go to church for decades and never read one or ever hear a sermon on Habakkuk. This is a very short book in the Old Testament, just three chapters, and we're going to spend three weeks going through it. And here's the reason why it feels so very relevant to where we are right now. We know almost nothing about Habakkuk himself, and we don't even really know how to correctly pronounce his name. Is it Habakkuk, or is it Habakkuk? Or is it, as the Blue Letter Bible website, audible version of the Hebrew dictionary said, Habakkuk? 
So there you go. Everybody's wrong. Most of us are going to say it wrong. And I might switch from Habakkuk to Habakkuk or to Habakkuk. Just give me a few minutes and we'll hear it a few different ways. But why this book is so relevant and so similar to the times we are living in is just the very circumstances that we see. Certainly what the individuals on Maui are seeing and are facing right now. Maybe what our community sooner or later may face, what we as individuals might face someday. That's why we need to study and understand this book. Let's notice, first of all, what did Habakkuk see? That's my first point. What did he see? Look at verse 2. It says, How long, O Lord? How long? Oh, that is a question we've asked so many times. He says, Why? I call for you, but you don't listen. Or cry to you, but you say there's violence. Why do you make me look at injustice? In verse 3, it says, why do you make me look at injustice? But that word injustice is a pretty generic word, isn't it? It means evil or sorrow. Other Bible translators have put it disaster, destitution, devastation, violence, affliction, sorrow. What he is saying here is this. Why am I in a position where this sorrow is happening? What were the things happening at that time that Habakkuk saw? Well, once there was a really good king named Josiah in the history of Israel, who was a ruler of Judah just before the time of Habakkuk. He had given the people hope that there might be good times coming for the country, but his sons were terrible kings that followed him. Do you need to be reminded? Do we need to be reminded of that today? One good ruler followed by evil rulers. And at the same time as that was going on, the people of God were compromised. They had become idolatrous. We're told in Psalm 146 not to put our trust in princes. And I'm going to rephrase that. Not to put our trust in rulers, governors, presidents, And it goes on to say, for when they die or they're out of office, their plans die with them. But joyful are those who have the help of the God of Israel. In verse 4, it tells us that because of the evil of these rulers, justice was perverted and the law was paralyzed. The priesthood even had become corrupt. There were false prophets telling the people everything was fine, speaking peace when there was no peace. So there in Habakkuk's culture, on the inside was moral corruption and injustice. The courts were corrupt. The laws were not enforced. And outside, there were foreign superpowers threatening them. Well, let's not get sidetracked here with our current news cycle. We could go on all day long about the latest news we hear. But what we are to read and understand are the words of this book. As a matter of fact, as I was studying this in Chuck Smith's commentary on this very passage, I realized it was written at a time when President Reagan was in office. And as Chuck Smith was writing, most of us would look back on the Reagan administration in the 80s as pretty good times. But in Chuck Smith's commentary, he saw things at that time that appalled him. And as I heard him list some of the things that he was aghast by, things that he had seen going on at the time around him, they seemed almost quaint to me, almost archaic and benign compared to the evil that's happening today. I wanted to say out loud, oh, Chuck, you have no idea what we're going through right now. 
So it was in Habakkuk's time that despite faithful prophetic warnings after warnings after warnings, the people had compromised and the word of God was forgotten and the courts of justice were corrupt. That's what was happening. But what really bothered Habakkuk was not only the evil times, but that God did not seem to be doing anything about it. In verses 2 to 4, he says, God, why aren't you doing anything? I'm calling for help. I'm crying out. And that's from a primitive word, a Hebrew word that means to shriek. Habakkuk is actually shouting at God. He says, God, are you there? God, do you hear me? Do you care? Why are you doing nothing? What you had in Habakkuk's day were really bad times. That is what he saw. And he was so concerned about the fact that he felt that God wasn't doing anything about it. So where are we today? Well, it may be too soon to put out a panic alarm. I don't want to be like Chicken Little saying the sky is falling, the sky is falling every other day. But on the other hand, it would be really silly for me considering the things that have happened recently in the last few years And even in this last year, that we would ever think some of these things would never have happened, have happened. Have you ever felt like Habakkuk, disturbed or disappointed or abandoned by the disconnect between what you expect and what you experience in your faith? I don't know that you can ever get to study the book of Habakkuk too soon. That's why we're studying it. We can identify with his questions. What did he say? How did Habakkuk respond? When I looked carefully at how he responded, I saw two things. First of all, how honest he was. In verse 3, you see where he says, Why do you tolerate wrong? Can you imagine saying that to the king of the universe? It'd be hard enough to say that to your employer or to your husband, um, just as bluntly as Habakkuk is saying it here. But in verse 12, he says, Oh, Lord, Are you not from everlasting, which means eternal or infinite? And I would put it in my own words and say, Habakkuk is saying, really, God? I know you can do anything. You are eternal. You are infinite. And yet you have allowed this to happen? It reminds me of the way Job was wrestling with God. But here's the second thing I notice about how Habakkuk responded. The thought never seems to have entered his mind that it was an option to walk away from God or to stop praying to God. He is so honest in his prayers and in the way he speaks to God, much more honest than we would ever allow ourselves to be in our public prayers. He says, my Holy One, I think this is what he's saying. I wouldn't be upset if I thought you weren't holy, but I know you are holy. I wouldn't be as upset if I thought I could walk away but I know I can't walk away. And if I can't figure out life with you, how in the world am I going to figure out life without you on my own? It's almost like Peter when he said to the Lord, where would we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. I'm living in this state of perplexity and questions and quandary, but I'm calling out to you. There are a couple places, you know, that are in the book of Psalms. These are Psalms of lament where the psalmist ends the psalm by saying simply, leave me alone. That's how a psalm ends. And there are places in the book of Jeremiah where Jeremiah says the same sort of thing. 
Now, the very presence of such prayers in Scripture is telling us something. Do you know what it's telling us? It's telling us that we have permission to speak to God like this. Did you hear that? The very presence of such passages of Scripture and prayers of lament is a witness to the fact that God understands and He knows how we speak when we are desperate. He doesn't condemn him. He doesn't condemn Job. He didn't condemn Jeremiah. He called them instead to deeper faith and deeper trust. It's the grace of God on one hand that gives you the freedom to ask questions, and it's the grace of God that convicts and convinces you that there's no place to go. But to him with those questions, we couldn't possibly make it through this life without him. We have a place to speak to God like this. And my third point is, what did God say to Habakkuk? What did he hear? God's first answer, and there's a lot we could say about this answer, but basically his answer is in verse 5 and 6. And he says, I'm about to tell you something, my friend, something you're not going to be able to believe or to understand. I am doing a work. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless, impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth. I am going to use them for my purpose. And Habakkuk says, I don't understand. You promised, God, that you are going to bring salvation out of Israel to the world. And yet, Israel is turning into this corrupt, awful thing. And you're using an even more wicked and corrupt nation to judge us? Come on, God, do something. God says, I am doing something. Do you know what? As I study history and I look at the sweep of biblical history in particular, I see that oftentimes the beginning of a story is hard to understand because it is just beginning to unfold. But if we read the end of these biblical stories and if we look at the sweep of history, we can see something that Habakkuk couldn't see. God used the Babylonians, yes, he did, that evil and corrupt nation to bring about the exile of the people of God, his people that had destroyed him and turned to idols. He was chastening them, but he had an even bigger purpose in it all. He scattered them throughout that known world. And what happened as a result? And this is something that isn't embedded in the passage of Scripture, but it is told to us by history and historians what happened as a result of the people of God being scattered throughout the Babylonian Empire during that 70 years of captivity was that in the absence of a temple that had been sacked by the Babylonians and they had been carried off to Babylon, they had no temple, so they set up these smaller places of worship that became called synagogues. That was the first time there were independent houses of worship throughout the known world. If the Jews had not been taken off to exile, the gospel and the truth of God would never have spread throughout the whole empire. After the exile, a lot of them did go back to Jerusalem and rebuild it. But do you know that most of the Jews stayed in dispersion? And as a result, in every city in the ancient world where the Jews went, They built synagogues. They had places of worship and places to study the Word of God. And you had Jews 
alongside these Gentiles who had been pagans, beginning to study God's word, beginning to get interested in the God of Israel. These were like the eunuch from Africa who came to Philip, searching the scriptures, traveling to Jerusalem to understand the Hebrew scriptures. How would he have had those if he had not had these synagogues that were planted over the country in which he was from? Also, we see how Cornelius, who was a Roman in the book of Acts, he came to Christ. These were Gentiles. They were the fruit of this dispersion. And when Christianity began to spread, and you can see this throughout the entire book of Acts, and historians will tell you this, that the most receptive people in the whole world to the gospel were not the Jews by and large, but were by Gentile God-fearers, the people who were part of those ancient exile synagogue communities. They had embraced the Word of God, and it was through them that Christianity began to spread throughout the whole world. That is what Habakkuk couldn't see and what he didn't understand. How does Habakkuk's limited perspective resonate with you? Have you ever come to realize that God was at work beyond your capacity to understand? This book says, this is the irony. The violence of those great nations, nations like Babylon or Greece or Rome, were simply setting the stage that would lead to Christianity being able to reach all the nations. Do you think Habakkuk would have understood that? Could he have seen that even if God explained it in that way to him? Of course not. It is too big for some of us at times to grasp the big span and purposes of God. You know, when the communists took over China, they kicked out all the Western missionaries and everyone thought, oh my goodness, a hundred years of Christian mission work down the drain? Why is God abandoning China? People were thinking, if we're out of here, God is abandoning China. But because Christian missionaries were kicked out, the Chinese took over their own Christianity. And as a result, the 700,000 Christians that were left when the missionaries were kicked out in 1947, it has grown to over 100 million. It is one of the most vital, fast-growing Christian movements in the world. 100 million Chinese Christians growing stronger by the day. Think how the history of the world will be impacted by the fact that those Christian missionaries were kicked out of China. So when God says in verse 5, Habakkuk, you're not going to understand this. It's almost comical, isn't it? He says, you want an explanation about what I'm doing? I'll tell you, but you're not going to understand it. I'm going to tell you, but you're not going to get it. And Habakkuk says, tell me. And God says, well, if I tell you, you're not going to understand it. And he says, tell me. And okay, here it goes. God tells him. And what does he say? I don't get it. Do you have children? Some of you may have two-year-olds. Some of you may have teenagers. Okay, then you will understand this illustration. Do you know why they're always getting upset? Because they don't understand what you're doing. And they don't understand the reasons why you're doing the things you're doing. They want something. They don't understand why they can't have what they want. And you sit down and you try to explain it to them. And you say, okay, honey, here's the explanation. Let me tell you about the basics of nutrition. Or let me tell you about why it's important that you only surround yourself with people who are going to encourage you in your Christian walk and be strengthening to your faith. 
um, they're not going to necessarily get it right away. So what do you say? Honey, you're just going to have to trust me. And you do the right thing, right? To say God makes no sense when we're going through times of darkness really makes no sense. To say, I have to understand God, and it has to make sense. What he is doing makes no sense. Listen, Mary and Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Susanna stood at the foot of the cross looking at Jesus, and they were thinking, I don't see what good God could ever bring out of this. And of course, we know now that it brought about ultimate good. Look at the cross, and do you know what? Jesus didn't just feel abandoned by God. He really was abandoned by God. And he was abandoned by God, so we would never be abandoned, even when we don't understand. God is working. He is working still, and he is doing things that we cannot see. Dark times can happen to people who don't deserve it, and that's how it happened to me. I didn't think I deserved the loss of my son's life. I still don't understand it, and I still wonder why. But I'm smart enough and old enough and familiar with the passages of Scripture to realize that someday I will. Someday you will, and we all will understand as believers. But until then, God says, trust me, believe in me, and look to me. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that we are reminded that you're with us no matter what. You're with us all the time and that you never leave us. Even in our times of perplexity and questioning and anger over what is happening around us, teach us how to deal with evil times, whether they're social and widespread or whether they've just come to us as individuals. Help us to keep looking to Jesus and remembering the lessons that are laid out for us in Scripture that we see clearly explained in history in time. We thank you that you are in control of all things. We pray especially for those suffering on Maui even now, that, Lord, you would meet them in this place and that you would use the body of Christ to be your hands and feet. We thank you for the opportunities that you have in front of us to glorify you even in troubled times. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.